Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder. Today I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? Ethan, Thanksgiving weekend. I'm thankful that um, you're the host of our podcast. Uh, we couldn't do this without you, uh, or at least not currently. And I just want to say thank you so much for everything that you do. And also, how are you today? I'm doing well. I can't tell whether to take that as, as, a, as a good compliment or, you know, the that at least currently made it sound a little little sarcastic, but you know, I, I I'm here putting in the work and I'm happy to be here alongside all three of you guys. We Ethan, we may need eventually to replace you. And it won't be easy, but in the event that we have to do that, we will continue on. I I, I believe it. You'll you'll figure something out at some point you had to do podcasts without me as well. But also joined by Cole Bradley. Cole, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Ethan. And as always, I hope all is well with you. All is well with me. Also joined by Noah Furtado. Noah, how are you doing today? What's up, man? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, excited to get down to Tucson for the state rivalry this week. Uh, and basketball's continuing to kick, so you know how it is. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I you know, know how, how it is, right? I know how it is. Uh, a little bit of football to talk about today before we do get to the Territorial Cup later on this week. We'll also get to a little bit of basketball in the latter end of this podcast, so make sure to stick around to hear about Bobby Hurley and what they did uh, so far this season, one of their biggest wins in program history against a ranked opponent. So we'll talk about that win against Michigan later on. But first, ASU lost 31-7 to at home to Oregon State in football. ASU is now 3-8 and on the season and 2-6 and in the Pac-12. To put it into a little bit of perspective, ASU is 3-8 and for the first time since 1994. Friends was debuting on NBC. The Lion King was released. The first PlayStation was released. The Amazon.com domain name was registered and Amazon was founded. And the federal minimum wage was $4.25. And the average price for a gallon of gas was $1.11. So a lot has happened since 1994. And when looking through it, it was a pretty pretty big year. A lot of stuff was happening. But now in 2022, ASU is 3-8 once again. And guys, ASU was blown out on senior day against the Beavers. It was not a good-looking game on many fronts. But were you guys surprised about the game and, and how it unfolded? Cole, we'll go to you first. Not really. I think we I think we established pretty early on or just last week ahead of the game that this was going to be um, this was going to be one where ASU had to had to really stop Oregon State's rushing attack and, you know, hold them at bay. And, you know, as they as they've sort of fallen short pretty much in that regard all season, they they once again did it. And I wasn't really too surprised by that. They were just a, I mean, they're just much a much more well-coached team. Um, they 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 did a much better job with just how uh, they mixed up the play calling on the offensive side, how they were methodical with everything, and you know defense put on the pressure as well. Um, yeah, I wasn't too shocked. I think that uh, ASU just continues to um, kind of fall flat, really on the defensive side of the ball, um, and that was really the biggest thing that led to the loss here. But Overall, I wasn't I wasn't really too shocked, I'd say, by by the outcome. No, what about you? Did anything surprise you about the performance or how everything unfolded? No. Um I hinted at it in the podcast um last Thursday leading up to the game. It's so late in the season that to expect ASU to figure things out, um, 
with its run defense was just I don't I would didn't see how that was going to work out because they had said multiple times uh, Coach Anderson uh, Aguano they just mentioned how they needed to get better at everyone doing their job right gap integrity the whole bit but there's so many games passed by already and you're this late in the season if it are if it hasn't clicked already that probably means there's something missing on the coaching end or, or something that is not getting through to the players and I just didn't expect them to all of a sudden overnight turn that around um, against Oregon State and that's clearly not what happened um, just they continue to be atrocious on the ground against Oregon State and they sort of just continue to take advantage of that um, even even Ben Goldbrinson the Oregon State quarterback uh, broke broke away for some for some gains that picked up first downs uh, they've struggled to contain quarterbacks that have shown the ability to do that uh, even though Goldbrinson was not close to the, you know the sort of athletic uh, dual threat guys that they faced this year he still was able to do that on occasion so just they just looked really discombobulated out there and uh there was no real remedy that you could point to uh during the game before the game whatever it is uh they just they haven't been able to play well collectively as a group despite despite whatever talent right whatever you want to say about the talent on that uh on that defense which isn't you know it's it's good it's just hard to have that uh, mesh, you know, really, really late in the season when it hasn't already. Chris, what about you? Any kind of what's your point of view about whether this was a surprise or not? Well, I'm a little surprised that Cole and Noah said that they weren't surprised, given that none of us predicted ASU would lose by 20 something points. Um, no, no, nobody expected ASU was only going to score seven points. I don't think anybody would have said that Trenton Bourget was uh, only going to throw for uh, was going to throw for under 150 yards, right? I mean, threw for 122 yards. I mean, the, yeah, he's he's coming off an injury and maybe wasn't 100. Um, percent Sure, not surprising that ASU's defense gave up a bunch of chunk plays and uh, you know was bad, you know, in the red zone and uh, bad on third downs and. Slightly better than average, but still bad on third downs. And um, that ASU lost, I mean, that's not a surprise. But I, I thought that the way that the offense played was – and against Oregon State's good defense, of course. We talked about this, right? We talked about Oregon State being first against the in the Pac-12 against the run and third in scoring defense and third in passing defense. So, yeah, okay. But the games, the games in Tempe – uh, Oregon State's lost like 19 of the last 20 in Tempe. It was a seven and a half point line. I thought ASU would lose by like seven to 10 points, something like that. So it was kind of surprising, especially the way the second half um, unfolded for senior day. Um, I think that the team battled back against Washington State in the second half in sort of a difficult environment that I would have easily could have easily seen them fold, like I said before. Um, so I thought that they would, I thought that they would have a better uh, showing in the second half of this game than they did. 
I just wanted to point this out for the prediction, right? Because I actually chose ASU to win. That was more of gamesmanship than <laughs> anything else on my part. So in that regard, yeah. Um, I think also I was just sort of narrowed into the ASU defense um, because that was the one thing that stood out as far as how bad it was. So that when you asked me if I'm surprised, that's the one thing I really like narrowed in on. It's like, no, they scored seven. That's points. surprising. I mean, like, but, yeah. How, yeah. How, how often is a team going to score seven points in a Pac-12 game and win that game? You know, like right. almost never. No. So, so in that regard, I mean, I didn't expect them to do that badly, but there are, were sort of factors involved with some of the absences up front and, and so forth. Right. When you don't have Ben Scott, you know, you have your center calling out whatever he does every week, you know, that, that can impact the front, which what actually wasn't very good at protecting the game. Well, I, I mean, Elijah Badger had 16 receiving yards, and he's been great. And Borgay didn't look as good as he has in any game that he's played a significant chunk. So, but, you know. You got you guys spoke about a couple of them, but let's just go into some of the specifics in terms of of what happened and, and why it maybe unfolded the way that it did. The ASU offense, you just spoke about it, Chris Borgay, maybe not looking as good as he has so far this season when they initially changed over to Sean Aguano calling offensive plays and Trenton Borgay under center. It seemed to have kind of sparked the offense and found something that possibly could be successful in the future. But more kind of more recently, that duo has struggled. The offense in general has struggled. Um passing the ball and just being able to generate points and kind of back the defense if it does get any sort of stop. So why do you guys think kind of they specifically challenged this games and, and what in particular was challenging for the offense to overcome? Cole? I think the, uh, I think my biggest takeaway was the, the protection uh, was, was not, was not really good at all for Borgay. Um, particularly when we talk about passing, um, on multiple occasions, he had little to no time to get rid of the football to let routes develop. Now there was some mistakes on his part, granted. Um, but I, I think, I think most of the time he was, he, he was under a pretty consistent, uh, duress, um, from Oregon state's front seven. They did a really good job of just disrupting, um, his process in the backfield and getting to him, uh, quickly. And I think that really kind of threw a wrench in, ha- in how ASU was able to move the ball through the air in particular. Um, and that maybe also led to some of the more uh, aggressive decisions to go for it on fourth down a couple times that Iguano um, that decided to do in this game as well. There was the fourth and nine that they went for, which was a little questionable. Um, they actually turned the ball over on downs on consecutive drives uh, at one point. So that it, it, it's, it's things like that. I think maybe they, they felt like they were, um, uh, probably, you know, it was sort of something that was kind of like slipping away, I guess, of sorts. Um, and then, you know, they, they just really couldn't recover, but I think the protection and just the breakdown of protection, as Noah mentioned before with, you know, not having Ben Scott, um, who's probably, you know, you know, one of your top three linemen, um, in their, definitely did not help. So that that was sort of um, a key factor, I think, in, in what enabled Oregon State to really take control um, defensively and shut down ASU's offense. Noah, what about you? What are your thoughts on 
what particularly might have caused some challenges for ASU's offense? Yeah, I mean, bad protection can make a solid quarterback look really bad. Um, and I thought that was at least involved um, Saturday because Borgay especially, he's not a guy who's going to extend plays consistently with his legs or anything like that. Um, that's Emory Jones. Uh, he, he just – Borgay doesn't have that at his disposal, so he relies really on being able to get the ball out of his hands quickly. Um, and as he's mentioned sometimes to even media, like finding his hot reads, knowing where the blitz is coming from. And it just seemed like how well coached Oregon state's defense was, didn't make that as easy as it's, as it was, you know, in, in previous games for him to do that. Um, you know, different blitzers would come, uh, it confused the offensive line and, you know, subsequently, Borgay would find himself needing to get rid of the ball. Uh, even if he did, he'd probably get hit. Like, he was only really sacked. I'm looking at the numbers here. He was sacked one time. But, that you know, it's not representative of sort of the pressure um, that Oregon State was able to, to get um, on him. So, you know, all of that comes into play when you look at the fact that he hasn't thrown – that he didn't throw over 150 passing yards, um, especially in the second half when, you know, you're going pass heavy. When you're down a, a bunch, that's equally surprising because of that factor. But you know, overall, it's I think it starts up front, um, and and from then on, everything else can function or not, and and that's sort of what uh, that's the chain of events I feel like that we that we saw with this ASU offense. Chris, what are your thoughts? What stood out to you about why the offense may have struggled? Well, some very good points that the guys made. I also would add that uh, there was three or four completions that were on third or fourth down that were a yard short of the marker. Uh, you can't, you can't uh, not run your route to the marker and Borgay is throwing the ball to guys thinking that they're going to be like where they're supposed to be on their landmarks. Uh, Jalen Conyers, um, was short. Brian Thompson was short on big, big plays that resulted in A's who given the ball up. Uh, you can't have that happen when you also have the other challenges that the guys mentioned. The not having Ben Scott was huge. ASU handled, you know, the center's job really is to communicate uh, what they're seeing from the front and where pressure might be coming to, which direction that they need to basically slide protect to if they're how they're going to handle certain things or they're going to have multiple people in gaps. And in this game, more than previous games, they had free runners that were uh, Oregon state that were coming through untouched uh, or they had uh, a tight end failed to pick up a block uh, coming as a little helper or the running back would fail to pick up a block. And that put Borgay under, uh, under duress. Uh, remember, of course, he was uh, hurt and knocked out of the Washington State game after those things happened. Uh, Noah said during the game, very astutely, he looked like he had happy feet even though he made his first completion. I thought that absolutely was the case. He continued to sort of, I think, get a little bit gun-shy throughout the game. Um, there were instances I noticed where if he had gone through his progressions to get to the third or fourth guy, there were guys that were open. But he was a little bit concerned, it seemed like, about almost phantom pressure coming at times. That was 
that might get to him, even when it what even when it didn't or wasn't going to. Um, and the, that that to me are are learning uh, curve moments for him. I I just want to say that you know earlier in the year when uh, Borgay came off the bench against Washington and had such a big performance, and everyone was like, well, "How come they weren't using Borgay the whole time?" And I also thought that it made sense that that Borgay for this particular team uh, perhaps would be a better fit. I also said, look, he's going up between Washington and Colorado. He was going up against really bad defenses, right? And I'm like, okay, it's not going to always be this easy. They're going to get into some games later on in the schedule against better defenses. And let's let's evaluate kind of how things look then, right? And so pe- people now are like, oh, okay, now I understand. Like uh, maybe Emory Jones was not much worse than than Borgay. Maybe he wasn't even worse at all. I don't know. But point is, is that Borgay is somebody who still hasn't played a lot of football, and he is in a learning curve process that was made much more difficult by some of the personnel challenges that they have, coupled with, I would say, pretty clearly, uh, not a very good overall coaching job that ASU's done this year. All right, so. Offense had some struggles, but pretty clearly the defense had some struggles as well throughout the game. You guys have also touched on that a little bit, but more specifically, the ASU's defense at the worst point of the game, there were 23 first downs and 43 plays for Oregon State as at one point in the third quarter, and there are 15 explosive plays given up, including 10 of those in the first half. So ASU's defense once again struggling, but this time around against the Beavers, Cole, what contributed to that struggle? Well, obviously the biggest the biggest factor was just not being able to to really hold back that run game. And, you know, we talked about it last week. Oregon State, they don't really make it a secret. They're gonna they're trying to run the football and they're really good at it. So there's really no excuse for them not to. Um they ran it forty two times, averaged five point three yards per carry, ended up with well over two hundred and uh, you know, two hundred or so rushing yards as a result. Um, I think it came down to, I mean, Damian Martinez was, was, was getting some really good blocks. A lot of, a lot of guys within the front seven were getting hung up on blocks, weren't able to um, sort of find a way to make plays um, at the point of attack um, where ASU was just kind of getting dominated. Um, and that's what sort of led to Oregon state taking complete control in the second half, it seemed like, but also, yeah, the, the explosive plays and the inability to, um, you know, really stifle this offense by any means. I mean, shoot, Oregon State only had two, uh, only had two face third down twice, I should say, in the first half. And I mean, they went over two, sure, whatever, but they had 13 first downs on 27 plays. Um, and I just remember thinking, like, that's just, I mean, that's just atrocious. You can't be you can't be giving that up. And I think that was pretty telling of just how they were able to, um, you know, sort of pick apart this defense um, in a variety of different ways. Uh, The first drive in particular, it seemed like, you know, even, even though they didn't run the ball too much on that drive and then they ended up sort of settling into the run game a little bit more uh, they were making some big plays through the air. Ben um, Goldbrunson was um, uh, finding bust, you know, open receivers and busted coverage quite a few times. I think the touchdown to Jack Velling. Um, I think, I think we mentioned that Jordan Clark was um, very clearly supposed to be in coverage there and uh, just was nowhere 
close to being in the area. And that's what resulted in the touchdown there. Um, you know, there was just a lot of, of sort of those frequent mistakes that we've seen ASU make a number of times this year that just continued to sort of rear their head um, in this loss. But I mean, when you're not able to hold um, an offense like that, um, really, really in any sense, you know, you, you're, you're probably going to give up as many points as ASU did. So um, I think those were probably the biggest takeaways for me. What about you, Noah? Is your kind of mindset on how the defense played any different? Cole covered a bunch, but I mean, like, look, like with this rushing attack, they still had Martinez, right? One of their top backs, but they were missing like several other rushers in that backfield that contributed a, a ton like this season that three guys who combined for 878 rushing yards weren't available to, to Oregon state in that game. And they still went nuts on the ground. Um, going to the quarterback position. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Goldbrinson is their third string or he was at least at the start of this season, you know, he's a younger quarterback and he just, he never looked flustered. He could rely on the run game and then very easily off of it, find just open lanes in the passing game. Um, just didn't feel like there was much resistance put up against this offense that uh, was by no means a, like a juggernaut. Uh, we knew their run game was the strong suit. Uh, and essentially they were able to, to do what uh, pretty much – not every team, almost every Pac-12 team has been able to do against ASU this this year. Uh, e even Colorado, right, like had success against ASU on the ground. Um, and, you know, that's at least one of the indicators as to how this run defense just hasn't been able to figure anything out across the talent that it presents in the front seven. You know, I mean, like they have Kyle Soley, Merlin Robertson, just – veteran linebackers there at the position they've got they've got Nesta Jade Silvera TJ Pesfe they've got big guys there on the interior um but regardless of what you see when you look at each of the individuals there they aren't able you know for whatever reason whether it's the players or the coaches or anything just what you see on the field the product is they're unable to collaborate and stick to different gaps like there is one touchdown run I think it was Martinez's second he just he just ran he, he took the ball ran for 12 yards and was in the end zone untouched so you know to Cole's point there were a lot of good blocks made for Martinez and I just have a feeling that a lot of those blocks are helped out by ASU uh, Guano said in his press conference today that sometimes the defensive linemen get too aggressive and take bad angles I mean they're, they're telling us what is going wrong. It's just they're saying what needs to go right, and it's just it hasn't been the case uh, pretty much any week. So, Chris, anything different from what's already been said from Cole and Noah? This has been um, one of the probably three worst uh, ASU defenses that I've covered from a coaching standpoint. Um you know, going back to probably 20 years almost. I, I just think it's just a it's just a very poorly uh conceived scheme for their personnel. They 
don't execute what they're trying, what they want the guys to be able to do. And yet they stick to basically doing, trying the same thing. You know, it's like the whole, um, you know, fool me once, shame on thing. It's like that whole thing or, you know, any other sort of analogy that you want to, that you want to say, like we've already learned very early on this season that these guys aren't good in zone coverage in the secondary. And then you still see them playing a lot or they're also not good at, at off man coverage. Uh, there was like the third and 15 completion in front of Ed Woods for a first down. Uh, they're playing man coverage, but with an eight yard buffer, 16 yard completions. Uh, cornerback Ed Woods, he gets his, his hips turned late early, prematurely because he's, he's, you know, trying to manage space. Roe Torrance later in the game, almost the identical thing happens, playing eight, 10 yards off and gives up a long, uh, conversion. Um, it's you have to be able to look at your personnel and say what do these people do well, what do these people not do well, and then how do we utilize them? And they ASU just failed, like miserably failed uh, with that this season. They should have been a much more aggressive team. They should have been blitzing significantly. And by the way, when they have blitzed, they've actually been pretty successful. They haven't been, they haven't given up a bunch of big plays when they blitz. Am I wrong? You guys remember a bunch of big plays they've given up when they blitz? Don't think so. So, but they've given up lots of big plays, and it's when they're literally just playing their base defense. So that tells you a lot. It's it's just almost like it's almost like they wanted to prove that they could be right and that they were going to eventually get it sorted out. And meanwhile, it's like loss, 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 piling up. You know, and then there's really bad discipline, like. You, like Sean McGuano comes into the game and a post-game press conference and he's like, yeah, they run stretch, meaning zone, outside zone aggressively, which then creates the opportunity for the quarterback to peel off of that and play actions and run around the edge. Well, ASU had their 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 containment responsible players, uh, Joe Moore, B.J. Green, Anthony Cooper. They're just like flowing with the action with no regard for their containment responsibility. Right. And then you also have like, you know, that they like to utilize their tight ends going into the game where you have Connor Soli losing a tight end who goes out after, you know, looks like a play action is going to be one way. Oh, no. Tight end's going to flow out there. You can throw the ball to him very easily. Uh, throughout this whole season, what we've seen the same over and over again, uh, their dirty eyes in the ASU secondary, they'll run one guy through a zone. To get the to get the defender who's responsible for that zone flowing with that guy, and then they'll bring another receiver into that void, and then they'll throw the ball to him for a big play. So these things they just happen over and over and over again. Why would you think that the players are going to all of a sudden get a lot better? And you know, may, we maybe overestimated the, the the talent of the defense, you know, quote unquote talent, but I just think that they've been so poorly utilized and develops like Merlin Robertson is not he's just he should be a lot better the guy's like a block magnet like he he runs he runs out of the area where the ball is likely to go directly into block consistently and it's like nobody's like getting him to nobody's pointing that out in a way that gets him to be like okay this is where the ball is probably going to go I don't need to go over here and that's that that is a big factor in what's happening with their interior uh gap assignment soundness 
guys don't get off blocks easily enough at the point of attack. Their ends and their tackles very blockable. Um, but then I look at like the I look at Oregon State's defense. Trent Bray, phenomenal job in his first year as a coordinator. Dramatically better defense than they were last year. And I go, wait a second, they're actual players. Like if I just look at one player in Oregon State and the same player at ASU position wise, they're not that much bigger. They're not if at all. They're not that much more athletic, fast, or whatever, if at all. They're just they understand they 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 know how to teach their players what they need to them to do, what they need to be focused on, why and how they do it better, they skill develop better, they execute better. And I just you know, like you should like if you're an ASU fan, you really should feel bad for Kyle Soli and Merlin Robertson and TJ Pesafea and Tamarcus Davis, who can't even play on the field because they can't figure out how to utilize him. And then she's like, oh, you know, it's very easy for coaches to be like, oh, yeah, that guy, you know, he's not good enough. He, he's, he's, you know, he sucks or whatever. I'm not saying that's that coaches have said that about these particular guys to me. I want to make that clear. But I, I'm confident that people would kind of say, eh, we tried. He didn't get it or they didn't execute what we were trying to get done. That's, that, that, that's weak. Like it, it's, it's the coaches who have to be able to extract the most that they can from their players. And they just utterly failed at that on defense this year in a monumental way. All right. Well, all in all, it hasn't been the greatest season at this point at three and eight, but an opportunity maybe to at least take some sort of silver lining from it by keeping the state as they've talked about throughout this week. Uh, it's personal. It's personal to us too, is what Sean Iguano said at his press conference today. Um, so there is a chance to play against Arizona that game. Neither team is going bowling. So all that's on the line is the state, which is a fairly big thing for them. But we will have that Territorial Cup preview podcast later on in this week. But for now, let's talk about a little bit of ASU basketball. An impressive win, 87-62 to 62 win over number 20 Michigan to win the Legends Classic was the largest margin of victory in ASU history over a ranked opponent with a 25-point win. This win also was des caused Desmond Cambridge to have the win the Legends Classic MVP, and he was also named Pac-12 Player of the Week, while Austin Nunez was Pac-12 Freshman of the Week. So a big win caused for some pretty big awards for some of the players this week. So, guys, this was a big performance from ASU, especially considering uh, what's happened so far this season in the loss to Texas Southern. It was a big bounce-back win. It was a Michigan game that the players were talking about uh, that they wanted to win for Frankie Collins. They wanted to play in that game as well, uh, the transfer from Michigan and Frankie Collins. But what can really be taken from this win about ASU basketball this season? And is this a fluky win, or is it something that is repeatable as a team this year? Noah, we'll go to you first. Fluky might be a little strong. Uh, it's definitely not sustainable. Like, come on. They they could have threw the ball at the basket and it would have rung through the net. That That is how hot ASU shooting was that night. Like, I don't think we can expect them to shoot 60% from the field on a night out, night out, uh, night in, night out basis. So, to rephrase the question, will they shoot 60% from the field consistently? No, they won't. And so I don't think we're going to see this kind of success uh, from ASU too often moving forward. But I will say that it at least sets a ceiling for how uh, 
I guess the talent uh, is with Hurley's team and the uh, kinds of scores, the the depth of scoring that they have um, on the roster because Desmond Cambridge, uh, we all sort of knew that he coming from where he was at Nevada was, was a guy who could put the ball in the hoop. Didn't really have that work out the same way through the first what was it three games? He, he didn't play in one of them, but he played three games, had like 16 points across those. And he finally was able to see some shots go through the hoop and the game of basketball is it's about confidence. So that sort of just seemed to, to carry over uh, throughout the contest. Now, one thing Cambridge had 20 DJ Horn had like 19. They're the leading scorers. I, I think there's still some issues uh, as far as I can tell with shot selection Um those two in particular were probably the worst of the bunch as far as certain shots that were taken uh, that were extremely contested and just happened to go in. Um, and so that's sort of another thing that's like making me a little pessimistic right now with how we can project ASU success, uh, future success based off of this big win. Um, you know, there were still a lot of, a lot of questionable shots taken. So with that in mind, there's still some things to to look at and say that that's a good positive development when you see some guys like Austin Nunez, Duke Brennan, those kinds of players come off the bench for them. Those two are freshmen and they've been they've been excellent. Uh, Brennan at the little things, really, like taking charges, offensive boards, the whole bit. Austin Nunez sort of getting a little bit more confident um, in, you know, how his skill set can translate to the college level. It looked like he was kind of uncomfortable in the first game or game or so that he was playing uh, seemed a little fast for him. It, now it's, it's starting. It looks like to slow down for the freshman. Um, and then you have a guy like Frankie Collins who after the first game shot like over 20 attempts from the field. Now he's, he's really, it seems embracing the kind of role that Hurley and his teammates were describing uh, in the preseason and, you know, dishing it out. Uh, I think he maybe had like five assists, but he would really set up way more shots than, than just that. Uh, and that, and that's really what they need from him. They need a sort of floor general that can be able to distribute to the different kind, uh, to all of the different uh, scoring outlets that they have uh, with any five players they have at any point in uh, a game. So, you know, with, with that said, ASU, it's a huge win. There's still some things uh, like the jury's still out. Obviously, it's really early, but uh, it was it was wild, really, to see how many shots they're able to take and make, um, even with some of them being well defended, actually, by Michigan. Yeah, it was maybe as you said, fluke is is a big word. But Cole, what what can you take away? What do you think we can take away from this game from ASU and and whether it was a fluky performance or something that can be repeatable? Do you? Think the same as Noah, or do you have a couple of different thoughts? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't really think it was fluky, uh, along with Noah, but I will say that um, it's certainly something to build off of, especially offensively. Um, you know, I think that is sort of the you know it shows the capability at the at their height uh, of what ASU is able to probably do on that end of the floor on any given night. Um, you know, in both the VCU game and the Michigan game, you know, four guys were in double figures, um, including two off the bench in, in the Michigan game. I think that that sort of tells you a little bit about, um, you know, how there's just 
a lot more um there's there's a lot more scoring talent probably um and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the starting lineup uh i think it also says a little bit about how how much you know as no mentioned frankie collins has sort of um after the first game after the first couple games i guess sort of molded into a little bit more of the of the facilitator that hurley was talking about um and setting up a lot of those opportunities and um, making sure that the that the wealth, so to speak, is is distributed evenly, um, in that guys are able to get, are, are getting open on shots and in in you know creating efficient scoring chances. But on top of it, yeah, there's certainly some things to refine um, with the shot selection and stuff like that. But I think at bare minimum, it's still um, it's still definitely a benchmark and and sort of a uh, you know something that they can refer back to as to like this is what you know, we're capable of and what we can, what we can really provide on, on any, on any given night. I also think it um, says a lot about how much the freshmen are able to contribute as well. Austin Nunez was great in both of these games in the legend, uh, in the legend classic. Um, I think, you know, Duke Brennan, as Noah mentioned, doing all the little things, right. Um, he's been, you know, a lot of hustle, um, you know, a lot of energy every time he's out there, it seems like, which those things matter for sure. Um, and then you look at, you know, some of the other guys like, you know, Des Cambridge ha- had a solid had a solid showing as well. So I think all of those things um, can really culminate into something that ASU is able to build off of moving forward. Do I think that, um, you know, it, it's fluky? No, I, I think that is a little bit too strong of a term, I would say as well. But um, it is certainly, um, I think, you know, something that they probably won't be able to maintain for the long term and but it's something that they they need to kind of um refer back to and be able to say hey this is what we're capable of chris what do you think is this a fluky performance is it something they can repeat and what can be taken from it i think that it has to be viewed as somewhat fluky um until proven otherwise which hey go ahead show me i'm wrong but uh, they they shot. That's the third time they've shot over sixty percent from the field under Hurley, and definitely this was against the best opponent that they're probably ever going to play, where they're going to shoot the ball that well this, this year. So, uh, that's not likely. That's not going to be repeatable. And if it's not repeatable, then that means it's somewhat of a fluke. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't be a very good basketball team we've been saying for a while now that they have the potential to be good. Um, and main reasons, you know, I think uh, in this game, they didn't have the services of Marcus Bagley, who everybody knows was expected to be one of their best players. If he ever is healthy enough to play for an extended period of time. And they didn't have Jemiah Neal, who has been out so far with the stress reaction, you know, all the games this season. And they didn't have Enoch Boache, who, Okay, he's fallen behind Duke Brennan, probably, understandably so, based on the way that Brennan's played. But that's three of the guys that we expected to be in ASU's top, let's say, nine or so at the outset of the season. So, and yet they're still beating Michigan, and they're still playing like nine guys, 13-plus minutes in the game. And we haven't really seen Warren Washington or Alonzo Gaffney play anywhere near their best basketball yet. So, will that and Marcus Bagley's not out there? So, those are reasons to go, okay, 
like they got a good chance to be able to get some of those other guys going and maybe they're not going to shoot the ball 60%, but they can still shoot the ball. Well, we, we, we knew they had guys that could space the floor. I mean, that Desmond Cambridge has made lots of three pointers in college basketball. DJ Horn is a good shooter. Marcus Bagley is a good shooter. Wasn't even out there on the court. So they have, you know, that game was them showing what Bobby Hurley said before the season he thought was possible for this group. Like he was sort of almost a little bit almost cocky in a weird way, I thought, like with some of his preseason comments. And then uh, we all watched like some of the games this year and we were like, wait a second, like this dude's like super cocky and they just lost to Texas Southern in overtime and they didn't look that good in their first couple games of the season, really. You know, other than like a one little stretch against NAU or whatever, which is a garbage team. And they didn't and they didn't look that good against VCU. Right. So everyone's like, oh, okay, like, what are you talking about? But Michigan game revealed a lot of things that are indicative of a team that potentially could be good, really good. Yeah, and let's talk about <clears throat> that potential as well. I mean you just brought it up. There's been some games and as you said, maybe a stretch where there was, okay, this is maybe what the potential of this team is. Maybe this is what the ceiling is, but there's been a good amount of games where they've been pretty underwhelming in terms of, of what they've been, you know, their performance and overall performance of the game. Then they play Michigan and have this game. That's one of the best games maybe we've ever seen under Bobby Hurley in an ASU basketball or as the ASU basketball head coach against the number 20 Michigan team. So what really is the potential for this team and and what do they need to do to reach that potential, Noah? Hurley mentioned this in the preseason. I think this is a really important. Uh, because of the depth that he was talking about, right, having on this year's roster, it was sort of like a challenge, he said. It was going to be a challenge for him to be able to distribute minutes in the right way so that certain guys in whatever role they had, right, were able to, he was able to maximize their contributions for the group. Um, you know, not having Marcus Bagley, Jeremiah Neal, and Enoch Wawache available um, in their most recent game, it's, it's like without them, they still played extremely well, and that could be a positive sign. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think of it that way fully because when you put Bagley and Neil, especially back into the lineup, that takes shots away from certain guys. And I felt coming into the season that ASU had a ton of scores, but to be able to get those scores, right, the kinds of the kind of volume that maybe they were comfortable with was going to be difficult because of how many they were uh, like, there's only one ball. Uh, so, you know, I, I think what's important for Hurley is not just being able to distribute minutes, but being able to have buy-in from, from all of those kinds of players into something that is like, you're not going to get like, for instance, Desmond Cambridge, you're not going to get the kind of shots every night that you may have gotten at Nevada or Brown or anything like that, but you are still going, we're still going to need you to score. Like he said that after the opener, we're still going to need him to score. Uh, like he, 
he even said then like he's gonna have to get used to coming off the bench right like in the Michigan game he was a starter because I mean maybe not because but Bagley wasn't available and and all that so maybe that elevated him into the starting lineup there's certain guys that are gonna have to get comfortable with limited in that way limited roles maybe coming off the bench as like a spark plug um like not every single player can be the star and i think being able to manage that uh manage egos really like because these are all talented individuals being able to have them buy into a team concept uh that is going to have you know wins be prioritized over maybe how many shots you get points you get on a night-to-night basis, I, I feel like that's going to be the biggest challenge. Um, I feel like that has been, in some in some ways, one of the bigger challenges when when Hurley does have the kind of scoring talent um, on rosters is just being able to have someone like Frank Collins. By the way, is is very important too because you throw him into that equation, and I think that helps alleviate maybe some of the concerns that you have with all of the scores uh, on the floor at the same time. But but still, it's just having each one understand that. The ball's going to come back to me if I pass the pass it here, and essentially I don't have to look for my own right in in for fear that I'm not going to essentially be able to find those opportunities through the system. And I feel like that that's essentially what Hurley is going to have to be able to portray, especially for some of the new guys that have come in and are expected to be you know those contributors that are going to put them over the top. So what do you think the actual potential is of the team based off of all of that? I think ASU is going to be middling. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they're preseason. What is middling? Middling is like, I'd say, <laughs> fifth or sixth in the Pac-12. Uh, oh. I don't expect them – yeah, middling, like middle middle of the conference, middle of the pack. Um, I think they're maybe like seventh in the, in the media polls. Uh, so I, I do think they're better than, you know, maybe some expected them to be coming into this season – I just I'm not ready to to really lose my mind over this one huge win. It is it's a big win. It's a big win. It's just I don't think it projects to the kind of first place, second place, third place finish uh, in the Pac-12 uh, just yet. Cole, what about you? What do you think the potential of the team is, and what they need to do to reach that potential? Yeah, I don't think this really changes much from you know what my at least initial thoughts were in the preseason I I do think that this is still you know regardless of of what they've been able to do so far I do I do still think this is a team that probably um isn't any higher than you know a, you know a fifth or sixth place Pac-12 team I mean I'm certain that um they might have the capability uh you know at full strength um to probably exceed that threshold I, I just don't really see with how Hurley is able to sort of manage um, the talent and um, as sort of as Noah said, you know, under, getting guys to understand their role and to fill into that role and to buy into those roles. Um, I, I just I think that's still kind of a flaw and something that's really going to come back to probably by ASU down the road. But this is certainly, um, you know, a win that can translate to to future success, success and that is, you know, that they can build on, especially heading into conference play. Um, I think especially the rest of the non-conference slate, it seems pretty favorable. So if they're able to sort of ride that wave and that translates into even more success and they get on a little run, then I think that 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 sort of changes. But I still think there's some limitations with regards to um, how how players are understanding their roles and how they're being utilized and things like that, that 
will probably get in, in the way later down the line, but that's something that I, I guess we'll kind of figure out um, at that point. Chris, what about you? Both of them, both Cole and Noah, seem to think that this game hasn't changed their point of view that much, if at all, on the potential of this team. What do you think? Has it changed your mind at all? And what do they have to do to reach maybe a change potential that you think of? Well, I would say that I think that their perspectives are a little bit glass half empty. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not Bobby Hurley is going to take a team that has this type of a depth and talent and versatility and be able to maximize it. That would be the that would be the biggest reason to be a little bit skeptical or glass half empty about this team because we haven't really seen Hurley overachieve with even like his better sort of teams like the Zylan Cheatham and Lou Dort uh, team. They were a couple games above five hundred maybe in the conference, right? He hasn't had team that um and they had the they had the tournament canceled the year that they were playing well and maybe that would have been better but they haven't like the only time they've gotten to the NCAA tournament is in the first four right this is his eighth season um but but the reason that I think that this year might be a little bit different is because they have the depth and redundancy that they haven't had in the past they have much better size they've had most of their years this is more of the year like when they had uh daquan lake who could come off the bench which is the year I was, i'm talking about um where they had Romello white the daquan lake and they had uh Zylan cheatham they have with warren washington and uh, duke brennan who's six foot ten and gaffney who's six nine with seven foot something wingspan and enoch Boache. they got they got a lot of length and they have the ability to beat you and do some things on the defensive end, on the glass that they haven't been able to do in all, but maybe one season. And also I think really importantly, the players in a lot of Hurley's earlier years knew that they were going to always play like, because they didn't have anybody behind them that was half halfway decent. So flipping what Noah said on his ear, my view is, these players probably know, oh, if I don't play well, there's somebody else who's not that far off from me who could take my minutes. And they actually would understand. Like, if all of a sudden, uh, you know, Austin Nunez started to play a lot more and that cut into the minutes of Ricky Collins, DJ Horn, Desmond Cambridge, you might go, oh, well, I kind of get that. Or if Devin Cambridge is playing a lot more, which then reduces the minutes of other Jemiah Neal or any of these other guys. You might go, oh, I kind of get that. Uh, and like, it's not like Enoch Bawache can really be looking at it and go, well, gee, I'm a lot better than Duke Brennan because Duke Brennan's played well in the minutes that he's, that he's been given. Or Gaffney can't necessarily complain that he's not playing 30 minutes or whatever. So I think that what it does is it creates a, an environment in practices that is more intense, more on edge, more of guys feeling like they need to to show that they're worthy of the opportunities. And then when they're in the game, they can't they can't mess around as much. Hurley's teams have tended to have bad shot selection. Well, um, I, to me, if he's smart this year, he'd be a little bit more. He'd rein them in a little bit more on that. 
on on making bad plays and doing things because he has the ability to say, okay, you can take a seat next to me. We got somebody else who's going to be going to be able to play fine. So those are the things that give, I think, a greater upside. And then when I look at the conference more broadly, what I and I haven't watched it super closely yet, and I will after we get to another football week, but. UCLA and Arizona, they're going to be at the top probably. After that, like Oregon, USC, Stanford, maybe Colorado, and ASU. They're sort of like indecipherable right now, like about who's going to emerge from that group. But ASU easily could emerge from that group instead of a USC or USC's had a bad loss already and and Oregon's lost a couple games already. ASU could easily emerge, and we could be talking about ASU potentially as the third best team in the Pac-12. Let's let's say in like six weeks, eight weeks. Totally, totally possible. Not saying that will happen. I think more likely ASU will probably end up somewhere in the four to six range. I don't think this will be a bottom half of the Pac-12 team though. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if this is a bottom, if this, I'm just going to say this right now. Bobby Hurley's had two losing seasons in a row. No ASU coach has had three losing seasons in a row and not lost his job. Okay? This team is too talented for for it to be a bottom half of the Pac-12 in this particular season. So in the event that this isn't a better than 500 team in the conference, 500 or better in the conference, and a team that's on the cusp, you know, on the bubble for an NCAA tournament, like Bobby Hurley shouldn't be around another year. Because he will have just undercoached this team. Because even when he didn't have three guys that we think we thought were going to be in their top ten for sure, they still beat Michigan pretty easily. Michigan played terrible, but the Pac-12 is not so good that that isn't achievable for ASU this season. So if you're an ASU fan, you should have pretty high expectations for this season. Uh, what did we say the over/under was before the season on wins? Like I said, it was like seventeen or eighteen. Uh, like I think that has to go up a notch. Like you probably should, they're five, four and one, right? They it should be like nineteen or twenty. I would say at this point, and I would personally say the over is what they is what they should be right now. Like this should be a twenty win plus season. This should be a, uh, at worst a five hundred season of the conference. They should be in the in the conversation for NCAA tournament berth all the way to the end of the year at a minimum based upon what we've seen so far and what we what the rest of the conference looks like. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, it's going to be a very intriguing season for fans to to stay up to date with, with uh, all the new players and all of the what you're talking about, very high potential and maybe high ceiling for the team as well. And this game definitely shows that there is that capability. There is that ceiling where this team is uh, showing up in the big games against big opposition. So with football season ending as well this week. Uh, We will be covering more ASU basketball in our upcoming podcast, so make sure to be on the lookout for those. But football is ending this week. For more football content, there's going to be 10 takeaways uh, from Oregon State. There's also going to be an Arizona first look. And then, as we talked about earlier, there will be a premium podcast to preview uh, the Territorial Cup against Arizona on Friday in Tucson. There's also more coaching capsules as well and more information regarding candidates on the Devil's Sanctuary Board. So be sure to stay tuned to that. There's going to be a lot more content coming away. The end of the football season, basketball season underway as well, as we just talked about, and a coaching search. So you definitely want to be subscribed to SunDevilSource.com. Now is the time. But for now, that's it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report Podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder for Chris Cartman, Noah Furtado, and Cole Bradley. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.